1: I'm Athena Dixon, a co-host of the New Books and Poetry podcast via the New Books Network. Today, we're speaking with Becca Claver about her new collection, Ready for the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to speak with you.
0: Thank you, Athena. So
1: I was really excited when I read this book, and I was really interested in kind of getting your thoughts on some things that stuck out for me. So Kate Durbin called Ready for the World a dazzling spell book. Can you talk about how the book came to be?
0: Yeah, so I've been calling it a spell book or a book of poems and spells. I was using the word grimoire, which you know means spell book at first, and then I realized that people might not know what that means necessarily. So spell book works just as well. Um, so I've always considered myself a feminist poet, writer, editor, a scholar, um, and. I realized that I had published two books so far, neither of which were explicitly feminist in any way, although I would say that was you know, uh, an undercurrent in both of them. Um, so I really wanted to write a book for women and girls about the concerns of women and girls um, and beyond anyone who cares about feminism. Um, and so I kind of went back and gathered the poems I felt spoke to those topics, and then I, you start to kind of realize your, uh, your threads at that point. And so I realized that there was a lot about um, community and online communities um, and IRL communities. Um, and then there were a lot of poems about um, magic, um, and including these spell poems that I wrote for, um, for NAPO-RIMO, National Poetry Month, one year I wrote a spell a day. So I started to kind of put all those poems together and work up the manuscript from there.
1: So the collection is like this intriguing mixture of social media, magic, reflection, and honesty. And once you kind of decided what poems you wanted to include, or you saw kind of those threads, how did you start to kind of plot out how you wanted that kind of picture to unfold?
0: Yeah. So, uh, an early version of the manuscript, I had um, included all of the spell poems, but just kind of in a section on their own at the end. And so now the book is without sections and the poems are just the spell poems are threaded through, um, although it's a little it's a little spell he- heavier at the end. So now the way I see it kind of going, the arc of the book is that we're kind of starting in this virtual reality, uh, this digital world. Um, and I, I think the internet is magic too. So I think that there's magic in those films as well, but it's just not as explicit. Um, and then we're kind of moving through um, this part in the middle that's kind of like um, a coming of age or like how how do you go from being a girl to being a woman is sort of like the passing through threshold of the center of the book. And then by the end, we're like in a much more kind of metaphysical um magical realm i think than we are at the beginning or at least like it's more on the surface at the end
1: So while I was reading the book, I found myself wondering how we move through a digital world. So I saw on Instagram that you created an account that was kind of like a video poem leading up to the book's release in February. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how this project kind of complements the collection and how social media kind of maybe in some ways influences how you created um, the world around the book itself?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, There are poems in the book that are like very directly about social media and kind of what it means to have so much of our everyday lives exist in that virtual space, um, which is something I think about a lot um, in terms of like what our space and time like in the digital world, um, what kinds of emotions come up for us or maybe are sort of exaggerated for us in those spaces And like, what does connection feel like in those spaces? And is is that connection that so many of us have to people who we love, who we live far away from, who we want to stay connected with? Is that connection um, over social media as real or meaningful? um, Or can it be as real life connections? So I'm thinking about those things. I'm thinking about kind of, online um, communities and real life communities of women and girls. Um, And then I realized that because a lot of the poems were addressing those sorts of questions that like their natural habitat might actually be Instagram on some level. Um, And so I had this idea that I would read a poem a day-ish from the book and put it on an Instagram account, which is ready underscore for the underscore world um and so then it gives them like uh, another life because I've been <laughs> I've been using Instagram stories and just using like goofy filters and or like scary filters sometimes too um and trying to like add that um that that filter or that layer to the poem too so um it's sort of like they're be- they're beginning with internet experience and then they're like being translated into language and now they're being translated back into um, a digital form, a video form again. Uh, So I don't know, it's like some kind of weird like recycling between realms, something like
1: that. So it's kind of this idea and I I was thinking that sometimes we see whether or not poetry kind of has to meet people where they are. Um, Do you believe that in some ways that being able to use social media, not just as a marketing tool, but also as a kind of a medium itself, is something that we'll kind of maybe see more of as we kind of move into literature being more digital in a way?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I wonder about that a lot, or I wonder, like, what are the unexplored possibilities of using... um, you know, like Instagram stories, which I've been using is relatively new. And I feel like sometimes I'm just putting random things on my personal account that feel like little kind of video poems or something, you know, like I feel that there is a kind of poetic quality to them, but I'm not really doing it like very consciously as art making. Um, And then of course there's, you know, Insta poetry and Rupi Carr and Cleo Wade and all of these people who, um, Poets love to hate other other (laughs) like poets uh, who are publishing books. Often love to hate, and I'm just really interested in the fact that there's this uh, this kind of rejuvenation of interest in poetry. uh, Thanks not only to those poets, but thanks in part to those poets, and it's kind of bringing poetry to people who might have been put off by poetry in school or intimidated in some way, Um, and so you know, most of those poets, it's just text in a square, maybe with some images on there, which I think is an interesting medium. But I also think as the technology changes, we have opportunities to kind of make poems come out of those apps um, and in different ways. And so yeah, I was just kind of trying to explore some of the possibilities. And I feel like there are a lot more possibilities that have yet to be explored beyond the kind of just like flat uh words on screen so um yeah I hope I hope more people play around with that I think I think there's a lot of room
1: One of the poems in the collection is titled Disney Princess Pageant. um, And there's this line, um, this virtual party is still raging, even in the spaces between physical parties. Um, And it kind of got me to thinking of the idea that sometimes we race to secondhand enjoyment without actually enjoying and living in the actual moment. So do you think that while social media is kind of like a blessing to To literature, into poetry in particular, that there are also kind of downfalls to being so wrapped up in this digital world that it's maybe in some negative ways affecting literature?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we have both. And so it's best to use both and exist in both spaces. So, you know, like I see all of the reasons why overuse of social media could make people feel more disconnected or anxious or depressed. You know, now there are studies for this. And I think there are like social media, like addiction rehab centers. And so, you know, this is a real thing, but I think as like a way of gathering people, a way of sort of like organizing um, things that also have an online or also have like an IRL component Um, that's where I see like the, the virtual party and the real life party going together. Um, and so that poem, I should say too, um, as long as we're talking about it is all found text from an actual Facebook event. Um, so Kate Durbin, who you mentioned earlier, um, She was turning 30 and and she was staying with me in my apartment in Brooklyn and um, I threw a party. And so what happened at this party, which was in uh, 2011, um, you know, when I think what YouTube was only like five years old or something in 2011. So it's like not that long ago, but in terms of what happens on the internet, it's sort of a long time ago. Um, And so we some friends of ours were at this party and then people started commenting on the Facebook event at the same time and kind of like transcribing what was happening at the party, which was partly a poetry reading too. And so it was this funny, I mean, we were mostly just making each other laugh, but like, it was this funny moment of um, this like real life gathering of friends talking to each other sharing work socializing having a good time and then there was also this sort of like shadow party or like um maybe not shadow maybe it was bright uh, <laughs> it was just like this like, campaign this like online companion party that was happening at the same time and so it was this funny moment for me where I just realized like yes this is the world that we're living in now where like these things are kind of um superimposed on top of each other, Um, not necessarily like we can't escape one or the other, you know, but the interplay between them and how they're kind of stacked on top of each other or how we move back and forth between the physical world and the digital world um, is, I think, part of what Ready for the World is trying to figure out.
1: There's poems in your collection spell for rebirth and spell for the health of a heroine that seem much more connected to our humanness and specifically womanhood. Um, and it kind of comes to mind because sometimes social media distills the feminine down to nothing. Um, and so you have something like the opening stanza of the poem Style Power um, that was really um, this idea of we're moving from the idea of technology and the impersonal to a human that's being reclaimed. Is that something that you were kind of thinking about as you were moving from kind of like this digital life into the um, IRL life?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I was consciously thinking about it, but I think when you say it, it sounds right to me. Um, And yeah, maybe, maybe there is something that's happening in those poems that you mentioned in particular, where there's a kind of like um, reclaiming of the physical world, which maybe in style power is also a reclaiming of um, kind of like the materials of the self, like how we how we fashion ourselves, like literally through fashion and clothing, but um, also through, um, you know, other choices we make um, that kind of, bring our sensibilities into the world and there's a way you can kind of like curate a self online and like here's all the cool stuff I like and um you know you can present yourself very carefully in that way um but then there's something like so much wilder and more uh to me interesting and mysterious about how uh people's style power comes through on um, the physical plane um as as you know as as fashion as art as sensibility as personality and like all those textures that are just not available in the virtual realm that I think have to do with um with the body and um with the material you know so maybe there is a sort of like longing for the material world I guess Now that I'm saying that, I realize I've written other poems about that too, so I'm sure it's there without me even realizing it, you know. There was this, um, I was
1: reading a description of Ready for the World, and there was this um, line that struck me that um, said, that the book explores how alternative practices and communities can resist destructive forms of power and conjure other ways of being and knowing. Um, What destructive forces um, does that kind of refer um, refer to? And how do you set out to dispel those notions um, in the collection as a whole?
0: Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I think that, so there are a lot of ways of answering this question, but I think that the one that the book is probably investigating the most is the way that women and girls get taught to ignore their intuition, um, ignore emotional knowledge, ignore bodily knowledge in order to um, acclimate into the world in order to get ready for the world. So, um, I wanted to think about all the subtle ways we kind of like give up our magic or turn off certain powers that we have access to in order to live in the rational world, which is also the world, you know, it's like the technocratic world. It's the world of technology, too. And so that's how the book is maybe really ambivalent towards the idea of technology, I think most of the things I've said so far seem sort of celib- celebratory, and I think people who know me online would think that I just love the internet, you know? <laughs> that's that's my stance, but um, I think that part of, as we all know, you know, with data mining and the ways that our, um, ourselves are our, monetized and manipulated online um, unless we find ways to completely avoid the internet which I don't know if anyone fully does maybe my dad Um, (laughs) it's it's really hard to avoid that happening to some extent and so I think I'm trying to think about like what what sorts of agency or freedom could we have in spite of that? Is there an outside to patriarchy, to, you know, all of the the systems of power and oppression? You can use bell hooks term that others have added on to, you know, um, cis heteronormative imperialist white supremacist patriarchy, you know, all these interlocking systems of power. Like, is, is there any way for us to, have some kind of um, freedom and freedom to like play and be ourselves outside of that. And I think most people are pretty cynical about that question and say the answer is no. And I want to believe that there are these like little pockets, not that maybe we can consistently do that, but there are these little like moments and opportunities available to do that. And for me, that's often come out of moments of being able to connect with other women and girls and like the space that we can make together, the social spaces. Um, There are poems about laughter in the book um, about the ways girls talk. um, And I think like creating those uh, alternative realities, even just like for a night can be a kind of reprieve.
1: Do you think that there are or have you found any particular writers or artists or musicians or spaces or organizations even that are kind of um, shifting back to a connectedness of of, of writing communities and that are doing good jobs of giving us kind of these safe spaces? Are there any in particular that you um, would like to mention?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm always very bad at thinking of things right off the top of my head. But, you know, like, certainly there are places like Kaveh Khanum and Kundiman and um, other kind of writers retreats where people are able to come together in real life. Um, For me, it has always just been about like creating a writing group, creating, just finding people in my circles and spaces um, to connect with uh, in that way and just making sure that like there is real life engagement with art happening uh, in my life somehow um, even though I I share online plenty too Um, so yeah I think just for for all of like the interesting things you can learn interacting with other writers on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or wherever, um, for me, what's most lasting and meaningful is finding those real life spaces. So, yeah, I think just kind of doing it um, everywhere on your own is, is the most important thing to me.
1: So around the midway point of the book um, is the poem Sleight of Hand. Um, and I made a note that I thought that that is where, for me at least, there was a shift to something more magical and more spellbinding in the collection. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight of how the series of spell poems came to be, how you kind of crafted them, or what were on the, um, the genesis of those poems?
0: Yeah, so I had always thought about... Poetry being incantatory, being kind of conjuring language, and how I believed that poems, more than other types of writing, um, not that other types of writing can't, but poems are sort of uniquely capable of enacting and performing and actually like making something happen in language in a moment more than other types. Of writing might be able to do, and so kind of always having believed that about poems, I decided for I always write a poem a day, usually with others um posting on group blogs uh in April for national poetry month, and so I decided uh, a few years back that I was going to write all spell poems um that month, and so I think I sent out a uh, a call like on Facebook, like, what do you want to spell poem for? And I wrote down a bunch of topics that people wanted spells for. So I kind of took some requests. um, And then I came up with some on my own. Um, And so some of the spells have what sounds like spell like language in them, like take some yarn and light a candle and, you know, do these things. Um, Some of them have that sort of woven into them. And then others are actually just sort of poems, like other poems in the book, um, but they happen to have spell in the title. And I think I even, some of the poems that I pulled into the manuscript, because um, the manuscript pulls from poems from maybe like a decade. Um, and so some of the poems I pulled in, I think I, in a couple cases, not that many, but in a couple of cases, I actually changed the title of the poem to spell for something because I realized that I had sort of written a spell like poem or a poem that was similar to the other spells in the book without realizing it so it was some of the most of the spells were really written explicitly as spells and then some were later discovered to be spells i guess you could put it that way so throughout the
1: the collection as well. There's a series of um, lunar eclipse poems. Um, and it, it got me to thinking of if we're, lo- we're moving from technology into kind of more connectedness, into more humanness, and a reclaiming of self, that those poems seem to be maybe like the, the tying thread between all of those ideas. Um, can you kind of give us a little bit of insight on those poems and how they may fit in the greater picture of the collection as a whole?
0: I was sure. What do you mean by a tying thread between those ideas?
1: I was looking at the idea, like the, the the first poem that pops up in the series. Like I read them as a series, um, seemed to be a lot unsure and a lot disconnected in terms of the. The actual the cat. Um, and I thought mm. that that's how we are now in social media, that we create these very curated lives and we aren't really truly able to be ourselves. And then there's a questioning and it happens in the, the second version. Um, we're a little bit curious about what could life actually be. And then I think by the time we get to the last of them, there is um, an understanding of self, um, almost like a progression in this this lunar eclipse. And I wondered if that was intentional.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that reading. I, I'm not sure I would have identified that myself, but I really like thinking about it that way. Um, and there was a lunar eclipse just yesterday, so it's also a timely question. <laughs> um, so yeah, so those poems, so there's, there's, Ki- there's Kitty's first lunar eclipse, and then, um, second and third. Um, and just on a, on a very, uh, Literal level, those poems were actually written <laughs> while observing my cat, Contessa respond to lunar eclipses and sort of behave weirdly during those times and so i was I was tracking my cat's reactions like that's most literally what those poems are about um but because they were written you know over a series of lunar eclipses over um several years um it seems that what you're saying is likely and I had just sort of like taken that I had like gone on that journey myself you know in terms of the evolution you're describing um and the kind of reclaiming of the self um those poems also feel like some of the darkest poems in the book to me and you know I guess it's the idea of the eclipse and what do you see in the shadows? You know, what, what comes out when you are actually looking into the darkness? I have a tendency to want to um, avoid the darkness and uh, and look at things through rose, rose-colored glasses. And um, sometimes that's a form of being delusional or being in denial. And so I think there is something about the idea of the eclipse that let me my cat <laughs> reckon reckon with the shadows a little bit more which I knew that this poem needed if it was going to be uh real magic because magic understands that there's always going to be a balance between the light and the dark
1: Now, the book itself do you find that you would this would be kind of like um a format or a, a a thought process that you would continue into another collection? Would you write other spell poems? Would you um do something that was more wholly based on social media, or is this kind of like a a, a one and done type of project?
0: Yeah. Um so in terms of social media, I think my first two books also were kind of dealing with online culture in other ways. Maybe more uh overtly political ways, so like for example, in my last book, Empire Wasted, there is a poem called um, we We Got him," which is what um, Obama said on t v uh, when Osama bin Laden was killed, and then the poem is purely transcriptions of things- p- people posted that I saw in my social media feeds in the aftermath and I was just copying and pasting all those things. Like it was right after the announcement, everyone was on social media. People were posting all these things. I copied and pasted a bunch of things that people wrote, put them into this document, and forgot about it. And then when I was putting that book together, I um, went and found that document again and realized that it could be a poem if I rearranged those statements and kind of ordered them. So someone pointed out to me that I was like playing the algorithm when I did that. So anyway, that was like an example of how I've used social media in the past. And in this case, I think I really wanted to think about like, what does social media offer to women and girls? What does it mean in terms of communities? Um, And like, is the internet magic Um, and is technology magic? And is it, is it dark or light? (laughs) Is it good or bad? Um, And so I think, that that's sort of like the new angle, and I'll probably keep writing about online culture in some way in the future, although I'm not really sure where that's at at the moment. I think I have been sort of writing more like physical world, everyday life um more deeply immersed in the i r l poems, so maybe I am kind of like swinging against that right now um and then. In terms of the magic, I've, I've written some spells occasionally, like uh, for people, like for particular occasions. Um, and so now I guess the only form those are really taking is kind of like, um, like a more interpersonal, like a, a gift sort of.
1: So before we go, I just wanted to ask you about a couple of the projects that you are working on. Um, The first is the podcast that you co-host with Lauren Besser, which is the Real Housewives of Bohemia. Um, Can you give our listeners a little bit of information about the podcast?
0: Sure. Um, So the podcast was started in 2014, and we did it regularly back then when we lived in Brooklyn, um, in Crown Heights, and we uh, lived about 10 minutes 10 minute walk away from each other. So, um, that was sort of a regular thing. And now we just do it occasionally. Um, when I'm back in New York, um, or we've done it long distance a couple times, but, uh, we are going to relaunch it sometime this year. Um, once we figured out, figure out the long distance technology, I'm taking notes on what we're using now. <laughs> um, so anyway, that, that podcast, I think that it was maybe like, um, like a, like an incubator unintentionally, but, uh, sort of an incubator for some of the ideas that came out and ready for the world because it was this, uh, this project that was, um, you know, really sort of like a fun project, not necessarily like a professional podcast. Um, although people listen to it. Um, and it was, it was about friendship as art making. It was about conversation as art. It was bringing in, um, Astrology and um, tarot, and like kind of bringing in the esoteric and occult in these various ways too, and so I think that a lot of the same themes that come up in Ready for the World um, are also kind of happening live on that podcast.
1: And you're also currently co-editing um, an anthology titled Electric Girlesque with Ariel Greenberg. Um, can you give us a little information on the anthology? Sure.
0: Yeah. So the original girl anthology was edited by Arielle and by Lara Glennum, and that came out in 2010. And it was a book, um, and it was a book of what was described then as third wave feminist poetry. Um, and it was really, um, they call it, you know, grotesque girly, over the top, um, kind of like riot girl inspired and, um, now, 10 years later, the second edition is going to come out, and so it uh, brings in a whole new generation of poets um, who were either directly influenced by the writers in the first anthology or um, maybe just happened to write in this vein, and um, it shows that the girl has kind of gone on over the last decade and also kind of taken these different forms and um, the writing of a lot of different poets from different backgrounds. Um, it has evolved in those ways too, in really exciting ways, I think. And so the electric girl is going to be uh, a multimedia ebook. So it's going to be basically um, a full color app ebook that you can, download and there's going to be audio and there's going to be a whole critical essay section too with writing about the girl-esque that has come out over the last decade or so. Um, So it's really kind of like taking this idea of this this dominant strand of feminist poetry um, that Ariel kind of identified and coined the term for and showing that it has continued to uh, morph and evolve um, and has has become um, has become all sorts of new things but um, they can all sort of still fit under the umbrella of the girl esque. so yeah it should be out within the next several months um, and it's going to be really great people should check it out.
1: Thank you. Um, Could you, before we go, give um, our listeners your website um, and any social media you'd like to um, have for them so they can follow you?
0: Um, So my website is just my first name, last name.com. So BeccaClaver.com. And then I am on Twitter at BexClaver. So it's B-E-X K L A V E R. And, um, that Instagram account that I mentioned, um, is ready underscore for the underscore world. Um, and I'm on Facebook too. My real name.
1: As I said, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, ready for the world will be out in February, 2020. Is that correct? That's right. And that's going to be via black Lawrence press. Yep.
0: And you can pre-order it um, through the end of January. Um, It will be discounted through the end of January.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Tabeka, today. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you.
0: Thank you, Athena. This has
1: been great. I'm Athena Dixon, a co-host of the New Books and Poetry podcast via the New Books
0: Network.